for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Thank you so much. Look at this beautiful crowd at the late show. It is lovely to be here at the Northrop Auditorium at the University of Minnesota. says here, this is the home of the Golden Gophers. I have my pride pants on. Last time I was in your fair city, there was a foot and a half of snow on the ground in April. It is now June, and it's the temperature of the sun out there. Have you guys ever heard of 73? <laughs> Lovely to be in the Twin Cities, the Julian Castro and Joaquin Castro of... <laughs> what does that mean? Shut up. <laughs> All right. Listen. Trump? Oh, my God. What a surprise. <laughs> he just got back from Europe. Don't worry, it went great. <laughs> Some of the hits, he said, oh, Brexit's going great. And then he said to the Irish prime minister, don't worry, you'll build a border and a wall. And then that guy right in the moment, because it's super serious and you can't just let that kind of shit go by, goes, um, actually, sir, and I can't do really any accent. But the Taoiseach, and they do, that's a cool word, cooler than prime minister, said, um, actually, uh, that's a really bad idea because of history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt and say that that's a really bad idea, and I'm not for that. And I know that he said it, but he's crazy and stupid, and we all know that. So just, I'm actually from here. No, not going to be a thing. He's not from here. He talked to some Brexit creeps and is wrong. I'm over here in the real place. I know all the history. It's a bad idea. Then, according to the Times, Trump said, there are those that say they have never seen the queen have a better time, a more animated time. <laughs> and because we live in a farce, the rest of the Times description of that quote goes, Mr. Trump said in the interview, which was taped in Normandy, France, in front of the graves of fallen troops on the 75th anniversary of the Allied landing. <laughs> then, Trump in front of those 9,000 graves, where he is honoring D-Day, insults Nancy Pelosi and Robert Mueller in an interview with Laura Ingram. We have a small clip of that. 
what people don't report is the letter he had to do to straighten out his testimony because his testimony was wrong. So, uh, first of all, no one knows what he's talking about, okay? I also wanted to play this clip because of the face Laura Ingram makes, <laughs> which is a kind of, yeah, I like the way this feels. Insult a veteran in fucking Normandy on D-Day. I want to read an account from the Washington Post. On December 11th, 1968, Mueller led a platoon of Marines into an eight-hour battle around an extensive complex of North Vietnamese army bunkers. The enemy hit Mueller's men with a heavy volume of small arms, automatic weapons, and grenade launcher fire, according to a Marine Corps account. As his platoon suffered heavy casualties, Second Lieutenant Mueller fearlessly moved from one position to another, directing the accurate counterfire of his men and shouting words of encouragement to them. Mueller set up a defensive perimeter, and with complete disregard for his own safety, he then skillfully supervised the evacuation of casualties from the hazardous fire area. Muller led a team across the smoldering terrain and into a North Vietnamese-controlled area to recover a mortally wounded Marine. For that, he earned a Bronze Star with distinction for combat valor. And the President of the United States, who dodged the draft, is mocking this man in front of American military graves on the memorial for fucking D-Day. I know that we're supposed to be cynical and unshockable, but I am not. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, basically moments later, was asked about this, and she said, I'm not going to talk about the president on foreign soil. That's obviously not something I'm going to do, because she remembers the old rules, the rules from two and a half fucking years ago. <laughs> All right, this is going to be some high dudgeon. Just bear with me, because I'm in a fucking mood. Uh, <laughs> There is a passage from 1984. <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know you're really... <laughs> I told you. I don't care. I think about it a lot. I'm, of course I'm going to do it. It's on the card. In the past, war was one of the main instruments by which human societies were kept in touch with physical reality. All rulers in all ages have tried to impose a false view of the world upon their followers, but they could not afford to encourage any illusion that tended to impair military efficiency. Physical facts could not be ignored. In philosophy or religion or ethics or politics, two and two might make five, but when one was designing a gun or an aeroplane, they had to make four. The struggle for efficiency was inimical to illusions. To be efficient, it was necessary to be able to learn from the past, which meant having a fairly accurate idea of what has happened in the past. War was a sure safeguard of sanity. It's good stuff, huh? Uh, I think about that all the time because to me I think it's about more than just war as the safeguard to sanity. But actually to me it is people outside of our propaganda are a safeguard against sanity because they don't see Laura Ingram and they don't care that she nods her head when the president lies and insults a veteran on fucking D-Day. Anyway, what we saw on the world stage was an embarrassment. It is a terrible and shameful embarrassment, and it doesn't stop being one because we get used to it. And he is weakening our country every single fucking day, and it is still heartbreaking. We are weaker when the president of the United States is a joke. We are weaker when we pick fights with China while pulling out of the trade agreements that would strengthen our position against China while borrowing money from China to help the farmers affected by the tariffs we fucking put on China. We are weaker when Trump praises Putin and other despots, people who attack our democracy and slaughter their own people because he has a personal financial stake. And we are weaker 
when America's word on climate or a nuclear deal doesn't mean shit anymore. We are weaker. We are not stronger. We are weaker. It is happening. It is real, and Fox News can't change that. Two plus two still mostly equals four, usually, when you check it. According to PolitiFacts, it's half true. <laughs> anyway, I know this feels like a grueling moment. The election feels years away. We are deluged by the exhausting propaganda that hits us all the time, but it's worth remembering. It's worth remembering that it was only five months ago that in a climate of unremitting propaganda about immigration, we still won a decisive victory against these people. That feels like a long time ago, but it was just five months ago that we took that gavel from Paul Ryan's fucking hand. So don't let them get you down. I don't care what Trump says. The queen 100% loves Barack Obama and fucking hates Donald Trump. She hates you, Trump. The queen hates you. And I don't even like the queen, but, I'm, but I like that she hates him. Prince Charles left that meeting on climate change gobsmacked by what a moron the president was. And this queen did not survive the blitzkrieg so that Donald Trump would be the last American president she sits across from. And I sincerely pray <laughs> that Queen Elizabeth II and what the hell, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, both put out statements on the last day he is in office. I told you, I was in a mood. We got some high dudgeon, but I brought it up at the end. We brought it up at the end. Can I ask you all a question? Does no one here say Minneapolitan? Why not? It's cool as hell. So I'll ask you again. What is a person from Minneapolis called? Minnesotan, that's it? Nothing more specific? Wait, what? One Minnesota. Very nice. Well, <laughs> in that spirit, we have a fantastic show. I want to kick it off by welcoming the senior senator from the state of Minnesota, a candidate for president of the United States. Please welcome Senator Amy Klobuchar. Look at that. No, that's for you. Wow. I love your pants. Thank you. I think that's why they're cheering, maybe. I mean, I feel like the, by the time you got out here, the pants were a status quo ante, so I think it was for you. Uh, now, the Minneapolitan, it sounds, it's too, like, cosmopolitan. They, I love their answer because we won in 2018 after Donald Trump almost won our state. And we won by saying we were one Minnesota. That's how we did it. I love it. So let's talk about this. So you're running for president. That's correct. You've made a case. <laughs> you made a case Because for... I want to sit across from that queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all... <laughs> oh! <laughs> I think, I think you said, I want to sit across from that queen when you agreed to come on Love It or Leave It. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> it was a double entendre. So you've made a case for your candidacy on being a progressive, 
who understands the Midwest That's and correct. someone who knows how to get things done. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the Midwest. As you mentioned, uh, we almost lost this state mm -hmm. in uh, 2016. Now, I split my time between Los Angeles and New York City. So like everybody else on Twitter, I am an expert on Midwestern <laughs> voters. But perhaps well, particularly you are... on Wisconsin, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to build a wall and Wisconsin's no, going to pay we for are it. Not. Actually, we built a bridge to Wisconsin, but that's another day. So, why do you think Democrats underperformed in this state by about seven points when you compare the results from 2012 to 2016? I wasn't on the ticket <laughs> in 2016. I think what we did um, in 2018 is we reached every corner, and we did have this theme of one Minnesota. It was really important in 2018. What happened in 2016 is what happened in the Midwest in general. Um, we forgot to go to certain places. Um, we didn't go just where it is comfortable. That's what I think. You go also where it's uncomfortable. You go to rural areas. You reach out. It's been part of what I've done in every campaign. It's one of the reasons that I've won every single time, every single congressional district, including Michelle Bachman's and the reddest of red. Um, and it is not because I sell out on our progressive values by any means. It's because I meet people, I look them in the eye, I tell them what I think. Sometimes they don't agree with me. I can be blunt, as we all know. Um, but it, it has led to trust, and I think that's really important. So I like to, uh, my husband is the third of six boys. He grew up uh, in Mankato, Minnesota, uh, in a trailer home. They had triple bunk beds, and uh, they had one station wagon. They would go on a vacation every summer, and he was always a good boy in the middle. And maybe a few times, there's maybe a thought that they left him behind at the gas station and drove away. And so they had to count off after that. So I can tell you this. If I'm heading up our presidential ticket, we're not going to leave the Midwest behind at the gas station. Nor any of these other seats so, up and down the ticket. So let's talk about the voters we've left behind at gas stations. That's uh, true. That's called... That's true. Follow-up. Segway. <laughs> Segway. So we've seen in rural states, Medicaid expansion, minimum wage increases, pro-union ballot measures passing. These are in states like Utah, Idaho, Missouri, Arkansas. And yet there's a lot of hand-wringing among Democrats about smaller rural states making it hard for Democrats to win the Senate, making it hard for Democrats to win in the Electoral College. Implicit in that is an understanding that we've just lost a lot of rural voters. How do you explain that difference between policies that appeal, even in the reddest of red states, and yet the Democrats that espouse them seem to be toxic. What explains that difference to you? I think some of it can be the national rhetoric in campaigns, and you've got to understand when you're running nationally, it's not one size fits all. Uh, some states like lawn signs, some states like you to go to town hall meetings. You have to figure out a state and understand it. And I think you can do that when you're running on a national basis, because otherwise you just become a cookie cutter candidate. You're the same person. They're covering you everywhere you go. But you have to be able uh, to relate to the people. And we have done that. And there have been Democrats that have done it. Uh, look what happened in Kansas. A woman named Laura Kelly, who maybe you haven't heard of, she beat Chris Kobach, okay? Um, or next door in Wisconsin, if you don't believe me, we can mid win the Midwest. Four words for you, former Governor Scott Walker. Uh, so, you know, 
I, I think you have to have a combination of pause. You have to understand that people in a lot of rural areas, even though you hear about this rural-urban divide, they have a lot of the same needs that, that people have right here in Minneapolis. They want to be able to send their kids to college. They want to be able to afford prescription drugs and not have insulin cost $1,200 a month. They want to be able to have a president uh, that is going to, they're going to be proud of on the world stage. There are things that bridge rural and urban all the time. And so I think we have to remember to find that common ground. So you've talked about one, one place where you've set yourself apart is on mental illness and addiction. And opiates are an issue that have really hurt a lot of rural areas and speak to kind of some of the dislocation and immiseration that is ravage some of these places. So beyond message, beyond just sort of having a campaign directed at rural areas, are there ways that you believe Democrats specifically have failed rural parts of the country? We have to understand that, as I said, not one size fits all. So for instance, healthcare in rural areas, you might think I wouldn't lead with that. You might think I'd lead with the farm bill. I've worked on several farm bills, been a leader on that. It's important to rural areas. And we have got to make sure that people in urban areas understand that food just doesn't magically show up on your table. I don't think that's uh, that right. It is made somewhere. No, you, no, no. You think oh, no it obviously does. it's made somewhere. It's you made th- in the kitchen of the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Yet someone just delivers it to you in a delivery service of some kind. Yeah, I don't yeah, all right, Beyond okay. that, I'm not sure. All right, so beyond that... You have to make sure people can go to rural hospitals, that they have health care. And that's one of my arguments on this uh, mental health proposal. In the state of Iowa right now, I don't know why I'd be talking about Iowa, but I am. In the state of Iowa right now, they only have 64 public mental health beds. And that is because we did transition all over the country from state hospitals to community-based health care. That was a good idea. But then the money wasn't there. They left the money behind. And so that's why I've argued when you've got suicide rate going up 30% in our country, that is just in 15 years. Uh, That is, of course, farmers, veterans, LGBTQ youth. Uh, We are seeing record numbers of suicide. That means we're doing something really wrong. And I can't believe the number of people that come up to me, given one out of five people in our country have had mental illness, and say, I don't know where to turn for help. For my kid, I don't know where to go. There's not enough counselors in schools. So that's why I put this together. Um, I just had talked to too many people that suffered through this. And another reason is um, we've had a strong tradition in Minnesota of leaders, um, starting with Paul Wellstone, uh, who have... uh, who have taken on this issue to push for mental health parity. And by the way, I pay for this. I figure if you're running for president, you gotta have ideas that respond to real problems and real solutions for people, and you gotta show how you're gonna pay for them. So with this, I took the addiction problem and the mental health problem, looked at where do we find the money to pay for the beds and to pay for the help people need, and I found the place. The people that have been making the money off of the people that get addicted, the people that have profited off it, and that is the pharmaceutical companies that have gotten people hooked on opioids when they know there's a problem, and there's going to be a big legal settlement that'll bring in something at a conservative estimate, $40 billion. You can charge a per milligram fee. Anyway, we get to $100 billion, and you just need not a president that just talks about the problem, but actually does something about it. So... Right now, we have Donald Trump launching trade wars, making immigration a demagogue issue. 
Uh, he became president in part by finding these two issues, trade and immigration, on which there was some sort of elite consensus that he upended. And now there's a lot of Democrats criticizing Donald Trump on trade. Um, but we've also now started to see also people like Elizabeth Warren outlining what she's calling economic uh, patriotism. You've talked about infrastructure. Uh, you've talked about uh, taking on antitrust. What do you see as the Democratic argument against the economic nationalism of Trump on issues like trade and immigration? Yeah. Well, we cannot shut ourselves out from the rest of the world. Either opportunities are going to come knocking at our door um, or they're going to come slamming at our door if we don't have friends and allies around the world. And I don't think we can go it alone. Uh, we have economic policy. We've got trading partners all over the world. We want to build alliances. We want to sell our goods instead of just having goods come here. We want to be able to make money and sell our goods around the world. And that means you have to have trade agreements. You want to make sure they're fair. But the other thing about Donald Trump and you um, uh, talked about it in your monologue, uh, is that he is shutting us out from the rest of the world. Look at what he did with the climate change agreement. Uh, I can tell you on day one, I will sign us back into the international climate change agreement. We cannot isolate ourselves uh, because that is an actual economic issue. People's homeowners insurance has doubled um, and gone up like 50% is what it is uh, in uh, the last decade. Uh, you've got people having flooding all over the Midwest right now. I was just with some farmers that can't even plant their corn uh, because things are so wet. It is becoming an economic imperative to do something on climate change. Do you think it's uh, the Iranian uh, agreement? You know, he. he oh, you want to make a joke? I was going to throw a joke. Uh, in, but yeah, I was but wrong you to can't interrupt. when I'm talking about that. <laughs> I could. Okay. No, no, no. I will rewind, and then you make your joke, and then I'll go on to something serious. And, and the joke is going to be so disappointing. Ready? Uh, okay, I'm ready. Uh, will climate change affect any non-carbs? <laughs> that was it. That was my okay. interruption. I'm yeah, leaving the whole thing in. It's so embarrassing. Maybe you want to cut that out of the broadcast. We could just do that, and then we could just go to me talking about serious international problems. Okay, so what I'm afraid of... No, okay, so can we go on the road and go yeah. to Lake Wisconsin together? Oh, we can go on the road. All right, so the Is Iranian it? agreement, I mean, I supported that agreement. And there are some people that didn't support it, but even some of those people think we shouldn't have gotten out of it, right? Because he basically has taken us out of that agreement. And because of that, we've given all this leverage to China and Russia, who are in the agreement that we don't want to give it to, and then basically left the bag um, with our allies in Europe. And right now, he has created this volatile state. And he says he doesn't want to go to war. Okay, maybe that's true. But he has created such a volatile state that you don't know what's going to happen next. And that really concerns me because I wanted to focus, and I will when I'm your president, on some of these big challenges that we have ahead. We have to focus on China and how we're going to deal with them competitively in the world. Uh, we have got to try to broker actual peace um, with the Palestinians and Israel. Uh, we have actual work to do. And it seems to me that all he does is foment chaos. And I can tell you this, I will stand with our allies, and I will not coddle up to Vladimir Putin and a bunch of dictators. So. All right. There yeah. we go. And I want to sit across from the queen. <laughs> now. Okay. It is time. All right. For queen for a day. 
You've gr- <laughs> I thought this was water. Oh, no, that, that's. <laughs> oh, that's. Whoa! That's, sorry, that, that you, that's, that's like it's pretty strong. That one's. That one's mine. Okay. <laughs> Well, I have to have that before I'm <clears throat> queen for the day. All right. All right. Since 2012, Grover Norquist, a man who looks like he owns five Johnny Rockets, but still isn't afraid to get behind the counter and make a milkshake or two, whatever that meant, uh, <laughs> has asked Republican candidates for office to sign his pledge to commit them to his core values. No new taxes, no elimination of tax deductions, no talking about the blood ritual until he blows the ram's horn. And since I consider myself the Grover Norquist of people who fall asleep on the couch with Frasier playing in the background, (laughs) we started our own pledge. During this primary, we're pinning presidential candidates down on the issues that matter to me most in a segment we're calling Queen for a Day. Senator Klobuchar has agreed to be the fourth candidate to face the gauntlet. Are you ready? I am ready. On day one, do you pledge to eliminate daylight savings and never (laughs) let the American people see dark before 5 p.m. again? Okay, here's the problem with this crowd, okay? They are like night owls, right? They are not the school kids getting up early in the dark. So, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, wait a minute. I think I know this where she's going. This is what I pledge to you. No, I am open to listening to your views. <laughs> and so, I will hold, when I'm president, I will have you into the White House as long as you wear different pants. Um, <laughs> And I will have a summit about this issue, and I will have you go head-to-head with the school safety advocates. Yes, and then we can make a decision, because I personally do like a lot of light at night. I think it's great. We live in a state where we have, like, three months of light (laughs) and summer, (laughs) and so we might like that. But, you know, you want to make sure, how are you going to handle the kids at the school bus so... So it's not too dark for them. So let's figure it out and let's have you in and then I'll decide. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. (laughs) School should start later, but more. But I'll also say this. (laughs) Senator Klobuchar. But don't you think you'd have to work that out with the schools first? I'm a big ideas person. Uh, Uh, (laughs) I like to get things done, actually. (laughs) And I will say... Senator Klobuchar is the first person to imply that I might come to the White House, and there's nothing I respect more than power, and I really <laughs> like that. That'll be good. Okay, uh, that's our plan. You famous... <laughs> you wear the pants. All right, okay, I'll wear yeah. the pants. Uh, you famously raised a lot of campaign cash from ex-boyfriends. What was your <laughs> elevator pitch to them, and do you guys still Snapchat? Okay. <laughs> no, we don't. Okay, so just to explain... I am a big believer in campaign finance reform, uh, as in, like, I think we should overturn Citizens United with a constitutional amendment. But to get to the nitty-gritty, because we haven't done that, I've had to raise money. I don't come from a lot of money myself. And by the way, if you want to help us out with our campaign, you can donate to amyklobuchar.com. Okay, but that aside, that aside, when I first ran for Senate, no one would call me back because they couldn't pronounce my Slovenian name. And so I finally one day just said, okay, I'm just going to call everyone I know in my life. And that is when I raised an all-time Senate record that has not been broken. I raised $17,000 from ex-boyfriends. And so that is a lesson to all the students out there that you stay friends of people when you break up. Okay, so 
um, what is my elevator pitch? I call and I'm like, hey, how are you? Good to? No, I don't. I just, I, I talk to them fairly regularly. I've stayed on good terms. And I think it is a lesson for diplomacy as a president. If, if you can handle that, you can handle anything. Next question. You were a member of an improv troupe as a Yale undergrad. What was the name of that troupe? And no, if it is a pun... I wasn't. It's a lie on Wikipedia. <laughs> I have finally been... I have, t I have lived through this for so long. People introduce me at events. It's happened like 10 times. They say I am, and I just smile and go, okay? Because I don't want to embarrass the host at the event. But I, I never was. Where'd that? I have never been. It is a total lie on the internet. It is fake news. I have not been. I have not, and I've finally been able to say it. I'm not, and I've, I've never been asked it in a public setting except by you. And so, no, I think my daughter was for a while. I don't know how it started, and I, I don't, I, I'm, the researcher did a really good job. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just out there, but I wasn't a member one. Honestly? No, I was in the College Democrats, but that can be an improv group, but it wasn't then. It was, no. I have to say, not being an improv troupe is a qualification as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> Keep you, going. Next question. If you're a few blocks I get, away... I get like, I stumped you. And that means I can be like queen for a day automatically. <laughs> if you're There's a few blocks one. away from your friend's house... <laughs> I've lost control. I just had... For those of your listeners on the podcast, I just had to take another sip of your drink. Yeah. If you're a few blocks away from your friend's house, is it technically a lie to text the word here, even if you know historically that they take their sweet time to come down to the car? If you text them here early, and it's the one day a year where they immediately come out, are you at fault? <laughs> I, I would not text here. I think it's, yeah, I think it's rude. Yeah, I don't think you have to okay. do that. I gotta tell you, I'm still texting Spencer here when I'm a block away, I don't care. <laughs> If you get a bad haircut, <laughs> if you get a you bad haircut, you know what haircut, I do though to get my daughter to text me back. Right. <laughs> it's a little tip for those parents out there. There are a few. So what I've done, or maybe if your if your parents do this, you'll know. She wasn't texting me back, so I started doing something, or she wasn't calling me back. Where I'd go, I'm on a plane. They're closing the doors. I only have three minutes, and then she'd call me because she'd know I wouldn't talk very long. <laughs> and then. Then I started doing it when I wasn't even on a plane. <laughs> no, I, I no, that's because I'm honest and true. And I went okay, keep going. Okay. If you get a bad haircut and your friend lies and says it's good, should you be able to hold them in contempt of court? <laughs> no. no, a lot of people say my hair looks good when it doesn't. I got a big colic. It's a problem. Keep going. If <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I couldn't. I, I know. Really I'm going to keep going. I'm the host still. That's what <laughs> I am still the host. If a friend shows you a picture and says, ugh, I look terrible in this photo, is it nice to say, oh, no, you look great? Or is, or is the actually nice thing to say, yeah, you do look bad in the picture, because otherwise you're saying that that is how they really look? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I know it. And I would probably say, you look fine. Like that Midwestern way. You look fine. You know, like that. And then they kind of know kind of don't know. Next I've question. Had, I, <laughs> Ketchup no. or mustard on a hot dog? Oh, that is so easy. Mustard. Correct. And ketchup on a hamburger. 
That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Girl Scout cookies. I get extra points. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Girl Scout cookies. Okay. Shouldn't Samoas just break off and start their own thing? Don't they deserve a chance to be a solo artist? Okay. You, I think there may be an issue here. <laughs> Once again. So I like Thin Mints myself. And I was a campfire girl, but I think they're now called Caramel Delights. Has the word Samoa been taken off the box? I was a campfire girl anyway, so. We had beads, beads. I was a Cub Scout, and then I went on one camping trip, threw up, and drove home. <laughs> uh, See, I am becoming the host, okay? <laughs> so what went wrong? Uh, well, well, that's this a great called, question. This is the kind of technique I would use as a world leader. So what, what went wrong? Um, I think I'm really an indoor cat. Uh, and um, look at me. I don't belong in a tent. <laughs> okay. All right. It's the final Democratic debate. It is you versus Marion Williamson. <laughs> Jake Tapper asked the question you were fearing. Which was the funnier Budweiser ad? The was up guys or the frogs that said Budweiser? <laughs> I think... How do you respond? I think the was up one. What if I told you my dad still does that? <laughs> to this day, I still get a was up. <laughs> I behaved on that question. <laughs> You're under oath testifying for Congress. Someone asks, aren't lakes just shitty little oceans? <laughs> That is why you cannot run in the Midwest. That is why you are not on that debate stage. No, we do have some small lakes. We have, as you know, we're the land of 10,000 lakes, right? But we have even more than that because we have some sort of ponds that are called lake when it rains. But we actually, they are beautiful lakes. We are very proud of them. And here's the weirdest fact. We have no more shoreline in Minnesota because of all those lakes than Florida, California, and Hawaii combined. It's such a fun... That right. is how you win in the Midwest. I think I could win in the Midwest. <laughs> I think I can do it. If Buttigieg can do it, I can do it. All right. Final question. You recently came out on stage to Fight Song, a song Hillary Clinton famously lost while using. Okay. Final question. Are you too good for Prince? <laughs> oh, okay, let's go over that. First of all, the Fight Song was used for multiple candidates. It was not my choice because I have a choice, and they're going to like this. I have my walk-in song. That's been okay. You see, we love Prince in Minnesota so much. I love Prince. I miss Prince. But he's not there to give permission, so I would love to use his music. And I had his DJ at my announcement, but my walk-in music is by a great rapper from Minnesota named Dessa. And I have... See? And I've got a great song that you should check out the words about... Doll in the China shop, bull in a, bull in a China shop. Hmm. It's about being a woman rapper in a male rapper aura. And it's sort of, it's a little bit of like a woman running for president with all these guys. And that's why I say, may the best woman win. All right. Guys, give it up for Senator Amy Klobuchar. 
That was so fun. Thank you so much. When we come back, we'll have our panel. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. This podcast is brought to you by Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Americans United defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms and even democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. While Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs, Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU's work at au.org crooked. That's au.org slash crooked. And we're back. She is Minnesota's 50th lieutenant governor and the highest ranking elected Native American woman in the United States. Her expertise includes building coalitions and advocating for children and families. Please welcome Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. Wow. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Over there. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for being here, Lieutenant Governor. It is my pleasure. Do I call you Lieutenant? Do I call you Governor? Do I call you, what do I call you? OGLG. OGLG, okay. Yeah. OGLG, great. Or just LG, or just L- Peggy. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I like OGLG. All right. I like, I like LG. Hey, LG. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You can find her reporting in Rolling Stone, MTV News, GQ, The New York Times, and The Daily Beast, and she is the host of Crooked's With Friends Like These. Please welcome Anna Marie Cox. Hi, Anna. Hello. How you doing? I am good. Your pants just get better with time. Like, the more I look at them, the more they say to me. You know what, folks? I don't skip leg day. All right. <laughs> I don't, all right? Because otherwise... You can't wear these pants. He's a comedian and the author of My Life as a Goddess. Please welcome back our friend Guy Branham. John, in this forum of all forums, you will introduce me as University of Minnesota Law School alumnus Guy Branham. That's an oversight. Yeah. I'll talk to Elisa afterwards. (laughs) Let's get into it. What a week. We are just a few weeks away from the first 2020 primary debate, and boy, are my mentions tired. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. This week, for the first time, we had a genuine clash among the candidates with frontrunner and model train enthusiast Joe Biden telling NBC News that he continues to support the Hyde Amendment, which bans federal funding for abortion. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala Harris all seize the opportunity to go after the frontrunner with different tweets about all the awful things they want to do to the Hyde Amendment if they ever run into it on the street. Calls from supporters began to flood into the campaign, and according to The Atlantic, friend of the pod and Biden senior advisor Simone Sanders directly confronted Biden on the issue, telling Biden, quote, he was missing how his position disproportionately affected poor women and women of color without easy access to abortion. By Thursday night, Biden announced he was going to reverse his position, much like he reversed the direction of his model train's route so that the passengers aboard could see the little town of Josylvania from all sides. (laughs) Anna, what did you make of Biden's change of heart? Wow, this is kind of a hard question to answer because I didn't want to have to think about it. Um, It is 
idiotic that he held a position that he held for as long as he held. His reasoning, the stated reasoning for changing it was that, guess, women's rights are under attack these days? So different from all the other days. <laughs> like, he said, like, this year, I think he said. And so, like, how far back do you have to go to find a year that women's rights weren't under attack? Like... So let me push back. Let me push back because this is a place where we explore ideas. Part of this is Joe Biden has been around for a long time, and so that means he is representing views that have been the mainstream of Democrats for a very long time, including the Hyde Amendment, which is something that's been around for 40 years, and as many have pointed out, is something that's been cut and paste into spending bills for decades, and now it's become an issue. He thought it was a moderate opinion in the way that he still thinks that Cheers is on the air. He just forgot that it's not 1987. Um, LG. Yes. Is it important for voters to make the space for politicians to change their mind? Well, on this particular issue, I think when we have 87 candidates uh, running to be the nominee on the Democratic side, uh, it makes everyone better candidates. Uh, And I appreciate uh, that... Vice President Biden has arrived at this position. I also think um, that all candidates should be paying attention to uh, what women think. Because women, um, we're people, and there's a lot of us. Um, And I also think, uh, surprise, everybody. Um, I also think uh, that there are- This is the first I'm hearing of this. Guy, it's okay. Joe Biden, yeah. what are you doing yes, here? I know, we're, we're all, we're here. Um, but also that women of color uh, and indigenous women are going to have a lot to say in this upcoming election. And when we have uh, issues that disproportionately impact women of color, low-income women, um, I need every single person who's running for president to have our back, and that should be a simple expectation we have for all of our nominees, or all of our candidates. So, Guy, you know, I think Anna correctly points out that the justification for the reversal doesn't make a ton of sense. What actually happened is he said his long-standing position, faced a lot of blowback and pressure in a changing environment, and changed his mind, right? I mean, his pub- whatever his privately held views may be, he changed his public position according to pressure. That's what a democratic primary is all about. Do you think that this shows... And what did you learn from this episode about this primary? It was a little sad because, like, you would like to think that Joe Biden isn't running this on autopilot. You know, like, it was clearly something that he just hadn't considered that was part of his standard talking points from a thousand years in the United States Senate. Um, And look, I think a thousand years in the United States Senate is a good thing. It means somebody should be able to get stuff done. Um, But also, it it was unfortunate to realize that he was that out of touch and to think about what that... He's been so solidly at the front of the polls for such a long time just off of name recognition. Um, I certainly hope this whips him into shape or, like, those debates are going to be rougher for old Senator Biden. I mean... I guess I should be clear. Like, I'd rather him change his mind than not change his mind, right? I mean, and and we do want politicians to be able to evolve no matter what their dumbass reasoning is, right? Like, as long as they get to the right position, I guess I'm okay with it. And if I have to, I will vote for Joe Biden. But, man, has there never been a more important vice presidential slot 
And if I have to vote for him, I'm going to be looking real hard <laughs> at the woman standing next to him. The second in command is a really important yeah, wait, uh, position. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, some, some people say it's actually like people don't understand just how important the second the kind of vice or lieutenant position can be. I think that's totally true. And like every little girl, my dream was to become the second most powerful person in the state of Minnesota. When we come back. Okay, stop. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. And we're back! Wait, wait. John, I did have something I wanted to add on that last discussion. Are you ready for it? Ready. There are two primary bakers of Girl Scout cookies in the United States. They service different geographic areas. In some areas, things that are known as uh, Samoas or Trefoils, and then in other places, they are Caramel Delights or just shortbread. Um, that's one of the important things you learn when you go to law school in the Midwest here at the fine University of Minnesota. That explains it. Now it's time for OK Stop. We'll roll a clip, and the panel could say OK Stop at any point to comment. Tucker Carlson. OK Stop. <laughs> he loves socialism, he loves nationalism, and he's got a few wild ideas about putting them together. But you know what wild idea he doesn't care for? YouTube supposedly censoring conservatives. Let's roll the clip. Steven Crowder is a conservative comedian who makes videos okay, on stop. you. OK Stop. We're really tossing this word comedian around these days. Um, and I think if you did a couple of open mics and then realized that just being entertaining couldn't pay your bills, so you had to add, like, vile racism on top of that to find your market, maybe we should find a different name for that job. He's pretty popular. He's got close to 4 million subscribers and tens of millions of viewers. His stuff isn't for everyone, but so? If you don't like his videos, okay, watch stop. <laughs> Sorry, his stuff isn't for everyone. I mean, it's against some people. That's the problem, right? I mean, it's not that it's not for everyone. It's that he's a vile racist and bigot. So it's not really a taste issue that he got banned over. No, the, the taste issue, and not being funny, is how he ended up on YouTube because he wasn't on Fox News anymore because he flunked out of Fox News University, you know? It's a free country, or it used to be. 
The press Ooh. is working to change that. A few days ago, a writer at Vox.com demanded that YouTube ban Steven Crowder. Why? For the crime of insulting him. Amazingly, many in the Washington press corps agreed. You shouldn't be allowed to mock talentless Vox writers, they said. Apparently, it's a new addition to the First Amendment. Okay, stop. Uh, yeah. No, 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 absolutely. Apparently, Tucker doesn't understand that YouTube is not an organ of our government. Um, just a couple of yards from here, have I mentioned I went to law school here? Um, you learned about that whole thing that the First Amendment just applies to government action. And what's so funny is when it was leftists attempting to like protest in the Mall of America, like conservatives have a lot of opinions about private property and what's possible there. But when it comes to YouTube, they somehow think everyone has a God-given right to be there. And I would like to say, if these proud warriors of the free market believe that YouTube is screwing up, they need to go build their other thing, like when they built their conservative Twitter that failed and nobody joins. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such, it has been such an, I mean, I don't know how many people you, how many locked into the internet you people are, but I have found it very frustrating because it's such, everyone's just talking past one another. There's some people like, they don't want to see conservative ideas. YouTube has terms of service. If you violate those terms of service, you're not entitled to be on YouTube. No one has a problem with espousing conservative ideas on YouTube. If you had the exact same views, made the exact same arguments without the anti-gay insults and the directing harassment at a gay person he doesn't like, he'd be fine. And in fact, he's still fine. The most... <laughs> Never have I seen so much content from someone who has been silenced. <laughs> it is amazing how louder with Crowder you get to be after you've been silenced. Turns out the Vox writer in question is hardly a sympathetic figure. Hardly. He's got a long okay, history stop. of... stop. Look at Carlos. <laughs> hardly a sympathetic figure. I mean, we We're... shouldn't judge people by their looks, but let's judge people by their looks. Look at these two guys. It's... <laughs> it's also... We're, we're about to enter the he's no angel portion of this thing racist attacks online. He's a fascist posing as a victim. No sensible adult would take him seriously. Okay, and stop. We really talking about sensible adults with Tucker Carlson? Like... First of all, I'm a little disappointed that in this video, um, for our, our listeners, he's wearing a tie and not a bow tie. I, like, I feel a little robbed by Tucker Carlson right now. Um... But here's the deal. If Tucker is, is sad that he can't watch these, like, racist, white supremacist, anti-gay videos on YouTube, all he has to do is just go home and use the feature on his iPhone and just record a little video of himself talking. Like, it's that, it's that easy. I'm a problem solver. You are. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out that fascists posing as victims is the Fox primetime hours. Yeah. That's right. I mean... That's in their, that's in their slide deck for yeah. advertisers. Right. <laughs> the company announced it will demonetize Steven Crowder's YouTube channel, killing his business. Co-founded The Intercept, and he joins us tonight. Glenn, thanks so much for coming on. So you don't have to be a fan of Steven Crowder or, what, or, or anyone to see this as a threat. A threat to one person's speech is a threat to... All of our speech, is it not? Okay, yeah. stop. 
I, look, I do think universal basic income is an idea that should be explored in America. I do not think that that universal basic income should come in the form of everyone having a profitable YouTube channel. Um, this guy is trying to make a buck off of being on their service. He needs to understand the terms of service. I once had a video banned for violating the terms of service on YouTube, and then I reshot it and covered up the Go-Go Boys pubes, and it wasn't a problem anymore. I will say this. I could die a happy man to see Guy Branham in this box talking about being censored by YouTube because he wasn't able to show a, a go-go dancer's pubes as Tucker Carlson says, what's next? <laughs> if we can't see rippling gay torsos on YouTube. You can see rippling gay torsos on YouTube, just not the pubes. First, first they came for the pubes, but I did not speak up. Steven Crowder to be uh, a, just a contemptuous cretin as a commentator. I do think he's an infantile bully which is, and bigot, which are not words I easily invoke. He didn't just criticize Carlos Maza. He mocked him for being gay and for being Latino. He used a lisp and things to ridicule him, sent a lot of harassment his way. But okay, that's stop. So far, so good, Glenn point, Tucker, is that censorship advocates want our brains to only go to that most primitive first level of do we hate this person and are we therefore glad that they're being censored without thinking about the framework being endorsed or the consequences. Okay, no one is saying that. <laughs> That in Superman, YouTube caved in, not in defense of the marginalized person, but in defense of the powerful one, the one who, despite okay, being stop. I mean, in this Pride Month, uh, if I never have to hear about how good gay people or wi like women or people of color have it, about how we're the powerful ones these days, uh, it would not be too soon. Like, if you want to criticize someone's terrible ideas, go ahead and criticize their terrible ideas, but using slurs or making fun of his wrist movements or making fun of his lisp, what, what is that adding to the discourse? What is that saying other than this is a non-person whose voice doesn't matter? Right, and it's just... This is my larger critique of this entire line of right-wing thought, which is, I think, now a, con a sincere conviction on the right, that liberals want to silence their speech and deplatform not just racists and bigots, but all conservatives. But one of the reasons that we find ourselves in a position where they're making this argument on Fox News is not because liberals have a problem with conservative thought. It's that conservatives have failed to draw a line between reasonable conservative intellectual discourse and the fetid right-wing hateful shit. In fact, they have melded together into one super... Uh, uh, what's that, uh, what's that uh, cartoon where they come... Uh, um, Volt. Gundam Wing is what I was going for. Thank you to no one. Uh, <laughs> and, and we see it every night on Fox News that there is no clear dividing line you can draw from Breitbart to The Daily Caller to Fox News to Trump. And when that is the case, he, it puts the rest of us in a position of having to protect ourselves, not just from the very, very far right, but from conservatism itself. I think... That's just the problem. Um, and, and, that, and I say that as someone, by the way, and I mean this, I, I 
have a, I read so much conservative writing. I do. I read the fucking G file every week. I have a surprisingly in-depth knowledge of what's happening right now between David French and some guy from the New York Post. I read all of that shit. All right? I'm in. All right? I'll read your ideas. Well, Sorry. Say, so it's not that liberals have a problem with conservative thought. It's that conservatives have a problem with thought. Okay. I mean, I think that's a distinction. I mean, I, I mean, so I actually also have an unusually deep knowledge of the various corners of conservative discourse. Um, and I would say that there are conservative thinkers. There are, and there are people that I... Uh, it's growing smaller, but there, there used to be a fair number of conservative writers that I, that I enjoyed following. Tucker Carlson was one of them. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened to that guy. I really don't. I do. I don't, you, I don't know. You can, look, I've said this before. You can, Tucker Carlson is like, a, like ice core data on what happened to the Republican Party. He went from Sirius Schreiter to CNN Blowhard to Daily Caller Troll to Fox News Nationalist. He has been riding the wake of wherever the Republican Party goes so that he can be this fucking guy from the very beginning. That's my view on him. That at least, I mean, that, the shape of that, you're describing the shape of what happened very well. It's just hard for me to sort of square that with the person that I knew. I mean, I guess it's up to a lot of us, right? We all have someone in our lives that we thought we knew. And it turns out, like, they have this, there's a sucking sound somewhere, like, that, that, that calls to them. And then I, I don't think it's money. People are saying, like, it's money for him. He's already really fucking rich. You guys know that, right? Like, He's he, got the Swanson money from right. the frozen dinners, he, he, which, again, he, sucks because I like those things. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like he was just chasing the almighty dollar, which at least would be a conservative principle, right? Like, he's just, I think it is more of a, it's more of like a sickness. It's like a soul sickness. I was going to say, I was going to say the secret to not losing your soul is to always rent. Once you got that house, then you really got to keep that money flowing in. I didn't realize he came from frozen dinner money. I feel like we should pour one bottle of Fiji out for Tucker Carlson's soul. I don't know if people feel like that. But we don't want to waste water. But like, I feel like this is like this is for my homies. You got ten thousand lakes, Peggy. You can lose the fresh water. <laughs> I'm not in California now. I'm leaving that shower running. <laughs> We have over 11,000 lakes. I'm required to tell you that. Uh, it is required much, of my position. I so. heard you. There's a lot of shoreline as well. There's a, there's a lot of shoreline. Oh, my God. And that's okay. Stop. When we come back, we're going to play a game about Minnesota history. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. And we're back. Minnesota. Home of the only football team name that's racist against white people. Think about it. (laughs) I was like, woo. All right. But Minnesota isn't all Prince songs and hilarious and talented senators who are heroes of mine until they killed their own careers faster than John Berryman at the Washington Avenue Bridge. What? You want to blame Gillibrand for that, too? That was like a really tough set of jokes in a row. 
I know. It was really dark. Really tough to hear, tough to say. I didn't know how it was going to go. We got some crossed arms in the front. I respect that. Honestly, you're right. How dare I come to this state and try that shit here? <laughs> Minnesota is, and a lot of the country doesn't know this, one of the most historically progressive states in the country. And we thought we'd highlight just how progressive in a game we're calling Minnesota Land of 10,000 Workers Ready to Seize the Means of Production. Travis is out there somewhere. Would someone like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? Leah, long-time listener. Second time seeing you in person. I was here during the great snowstorm. Oh, wow. Thank you for coming out again. It was fun. All right, Leah. Question one. The political party known as the Minnesota FLP actually stands for what? Is it A? The Minnesota Farmer Labor Party was the most successful labor party in the history of the United States. It wasn't just a pro-union party, it was a political party that was comprised of labor unions and farmers. Or is it B? The Minnesota Freedom Lakes Party, established in 1874, was formed in hopes of making Minnesota its own socialist country. Separate from the United States, now the Freedom Lakes Party is known for their butter-making co-op. Marketing nationwide as Lando Lakes. Or is it C? The Minnesota Free Love Party, a group initially formed by open-minded Minnesotans in response to the larger free love movement of the 60s, initially formed to expand fellow Minnesotans' acceptance of more progressive romantic lifestyles, the group quickly became political in other ways, using the slogan, open government, open borders, open marriage. What do you think, Leah? I wish it was C, but I'm going with A. You got it. Bonus question. Between 1921 and 1941, there were three FLP governors, but how many members went to Congress? Oh. You oh. just have to guess a number. It's a hard one. I'm going to guess two. It, it was 12. Four FLP senators and eight FLP United States representatives. Wow. Urban labor unions and rural farmers joining forces is probably the scariest thing the Republicans can think of that isn't a trans-immigrant veteran reading YouTube's terms of service. Question two. During the Civil War, Minnesota led the way, but how? Is it A? Minnesota's reputation as the Switzerland of the North began during the Civil War after the state declared that it would not take sides. As Minnesota's governor explained at the time, we need a third way, and I think it's important to try to find a centrist approach, somewhere between abolishing slavery and not doing that. (laughs) Or is it B? When Minnesota received the news that war had broken out between the states, they wasted no time. Brave regiments were immediately dispatched. While it's unfortunate that Minnesota did not stop to ask which states were at war, their attack caught Iowa completely off guard. And that rivalry has continued to this day. Or is it C? In the election of 1860, Abraham Lincoln took 63% of the Minnesota vote, more than any other state except Vermont, and Governor Alexander Ramsey was the first to offer troops to Lincoln at the start of the war. Did Minnesota do some racist stuff too? Absolutely. But we're not talking about that now. We're having fun. (laughs) What do you think, Leah? I really want to tell a joke right now about Iowa. I, I think the answer is C. You got it. Okay. Leah, Leah, I have a question for you. 
Is that joke about Iowa uh, have to do with why the, uh, the Mississippi River flows south? No, the no. Okay. God, no. The, 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 the joke is yeah. there's only one good thing that comes out of Iowa. Does anybody on the stage know what that is? No, what is it, Leah? It's I-35. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Leah. That was a great joke, Leah. Guys, give it up for Leah. She's doing so well. That's a great joke. I like that, huh? Leah, do you know why the Mississippi River flows south? No, I don't know why. Oh, because Iowa sucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> Can I just put a pin in that, uh, that Ramsey just portion at the end? I'm going to talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to talk about the racist stuff? There's I'm going to talk about some, some racist stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what the rant wheel's for. But not a lot because we're in Minnesota and it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> Who wants pie? I don't know. Hey, look out, Minnesota. You got a funny LG on your hands. <laughs> Question three. In 1934, the governor of Minnesota declared martial law. Why? Is it A? The governor had been growing increasingly paranoid of a coup after a discovering that his cabinet had been regularly meeting without him for three weeks. Shocked to see crowds of citizens beginning to show up outside of the governor's mansion, he declared martial law only to find out later that the meetings were regarding a surprise party for his 70th birthday. Or is it B? Because of a wildly successful strike. The Minneapolis general strike of 1934 successfully shut down the market district and virtually all of commercial transport in the city. It led to the rise of the Teamsters Union. It ended the city's open shop status. It boosted the membership in leftist organizations like the Workers' Party of America. And now unions won are doing great problem solved. Or is it C? Single women in the state complained to the governor that there weren't any handsome military men to date. And the governor, never one to let down his constituents, got to work. He was reelected easily the next year. What do you think? B? You got it. (laughs) You know what that sound means. (laughs) It's time for the Coastal Elite Lightning Round. Jew York City and San Francisco, Transylvania often get a lot of credit for being bastions of liberalism, but they might be able to learn a thing or two from the good people of Minnesotan Justice Oda. So I'm going to say a fact, and Leah, you have to tell me if it's something that happened in New York, California, or Minnesota. This is tough. All right, Leah, you ready? The governor of this state once made a speech claiming a war of extermination will continue to be waged between the races until the Indian race becomes extinct. Minnesota. California. Donald Trump's father was arrested at a Ku Klux Klan rally in this state. New York. Correct. In in 1902, the National Afro-American Council held its annual meeting in this state. W.E.B. Du Bois, along with the state's first black attorney, eventually decided to split from the organization and form the NAACP in 1909. New York. No, it was Minnesota. In the presidential election of 1984, this was the only state that went to Walter Mondale instead of Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Minnesota. You got it. Malcolm X once said that this state has more integration problems than Mississippi. California. New York. The the 1879 constitution of this state prohibited employment of Chinese people and allowed local governments to remove Chinese people from within their borders. California. 
Correct. In 2002, this state had the only Democratic senator facing re-election to vote against the war in Iraq. He actually went up in the polls after his vote. That would be Minnesota. Paul Wellstone. In 1916, the biggest city in this state elected Thomas Van Leer as its mayor, who ran as an independent socialist. New York? No, that was Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm embarrassed. This Sorry, state guys. elected a shitty cowboy actor as their governor, who then became president and wreaked havoc among marginalized communities nationwide. California. <laughs> you bet. In the 20th century, the governor of this state championed the American plan, in which tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of American women were detained and forcibly examined for STIs. If the women tested positive, they were locked away in penal institutions with no due process. I think it's New York. It was both New York and California. Oh, okay. In 1915, decades before that, Sarah Colvin co-founded the state branch of the National Women's Party and served as its chair. Colvin became a national leader in the fight for women's suffrage and in 1933 became the national president of the organization, shifting the organization's focus to equal pay. Minnesota. You got it. Yeah! And Leah, you've won the game. <laughs> Gonna work on our air horn cues. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. And we're back. Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin a wheel and wherever it lands, we rant about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have abortion exemptions, MMIW, Minnesota State Fair, Robert Pattinson as Batman, the Straight Pride Parade, the Taco Bell Resort, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and Audience Choice. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Straight Pride Parade. Listen to my voice. This is how my voice sounded during every Straight Pride Parade I've ever been in. Because every day at H.B. Thompson Middle School on Long Island is a Straight Pride Parade. Everywhere I look, is a straight pride parade with your navy blue, blue hoodies and your no fear t-shirts and your blink 182 straight pride parade I would have liked to see the straight pride parade that took place outside of the big blue recycling bin I was locked in or the straight pride parade at Camp Starlight when all the kids figured out I was gay before I did. <laughs> straight Pride Parade. And also, by the way, why are the organizers of the Straight Pride Parade the straight people straight people should be least proud of? I just wanted to say about Straight Pride, straight people are always like, why do you have to shove your gayness in our faces? Meanwhile, you guys like bring nine-month-olds around and are like, hey, look, I had sex two years ago. Its name is Cyrus. You, you can give us one day on Hennepin Avenue. 
And what are you going to do at your straight pride parade anyway? Not play catch with me? <laughs> Let's spin it again. It has landed on abortion exemptions, which was suggested by Anna. It's a comedy show. So, of course, I thought of abortion exemptions. Because um, well, actually, they are a joke um, in the sense that uh, I am sick and tired of uh, people thinking that because they are pro-life, except for in the case of rape and incest, that somehow makes them more moderate. Because, like, that's somehow, like, a more humane way of being pro-life. Like, my number one question is, how do you think that would fucking work, right? Like, does the woman, do you wait for a trial? Do, who judges this? Like, do you have an investigation? Or if you even say, like, what we're going to do is take her word for it, um, well, then, do you want a woman to say to a perfect stranger this awful thing has happened to her? Is that how it's supposed to work? Someone's going to have to judge it. And the other thing is, <laughs> and as soon as you involve like a, a, a third person in the relationship between a woman and a doctor, it, starts, it stops being her choice. It, it, it does. And the other thing is, is if you think you're somehow being more gracious or more moderate by saying pro-life except in the case of rape or incest, you're actually giving the fucking game away because what you're saying is what really matters to you is how the woman got pregnant. To my mind, in some ways, it's at least as misogynistic as any other position you have on abortion restrictions. And it has, like, the weakness of at least not being... It's not even consistent. It's just being a fucking asshole and thinking that you're better than other people that admit they are assholes. Let's spin it again. That's so, you, <laughs> shame on you people. For the people at home, I do want to say that it almost landed on Minnesota State Fair, but landed on a serious issue, and they moaned like somebody changed a channel from the Avengers to a documentary. Shame on you. LG, you have the floor. It has landed on MMIW. So I want to just say for a moment that I really enjoy the Minnesota State Fair, so I'm sorry I have to bum all you out by talking about missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, but here's the deal. So I like. No, you've got. Can I stand up? up? Okay. So. Get up. So I saw Ani DeFranco here when I was like 19. I'm like fulfilling a dream right now. Um, uh, but so, hi. I'm an indigenous woman. I'm Ojibwe. I am enrolled at the, the White Earth Reservation. And um, I still exist. And right now, we have an epidemic in North America 
of missing and murdered indigenous women. 84% of native women, myself included, will experience violence in their lifetime. On some reservations, native women die by murder at 10 times the national average. You should be horrified. And in Canada this week, they just came out with a report on missing and murdered indigenous women, and they called it genocide. And that is exactly what it is. And part of the reason, my friend Crystal Echohawk recently said, she's like, invisibility is not a superpower for Native people. It is a threat to our existence. When the only images that you see of Indigenous people are Chief Wahoo, the Washington football team, don't even get me started about that racist bullshit. You see Pocahontas Halloween costumes that sexualize Native women, that over-sexualize Native women, so you don't have to see the humanity in any of us. All of the images that we are bombarded with every single day dehumanize Native people. Even in our Minnesota state capitol, where in the House chamber there is a carving of a skinny Native man and a Native woman dutifully sitting at his feet. And in the Senate chamber, there's a gigantic painting of a Native American man, shirtless, in a loincloth, which really looks like a diaper. So, Senate, get it together. But all of these things are changing. They are changing because... Native women, who we know, I know, have been leaders since time immemorial, now have a seat at the table. <laughs> Congresswoman Deb Holland, yeah, who's awesome, from New Mexico, is Native. The other Native woman who was elected last year, Congresswoman Sharice Davids, who's Ho-Chunk... <laughs> and a mixed martial arts fighter. And this is why it matters, y'all. It matters that we have women, Native women, at the table making these decisions. But also, we recently, and it also matters that we are showing this example. I'll sit down in a second. But I'm like, I'm fired up. There's a young woman named Rosalie Fish. Rosalie Fish is a high school track star from Washington State. She's a young Native woman. And she ran in all the state championship with MMIW painted on her leg. She also had a red handprint over her mouth, like this, as though it, she was being grabbed from behind and attacked and silenced. It is jarring, and it should be. But she ran, and she won, and she is the state champion, and she is an example of everything that we should be lifting up and everything we should be doing.
And this session in Minnesota, we passed the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Task Force bill. So we can start to investigate this issue. We can bring solutions from the community and we can stop this epidemic. And it was because of the leadership of Native women, of great grandma Mary Lyons and all these Native women who came forward to tell their stories. And it's hard. It is hard to be a Native woman, and it is hard to be invisible, and it is hard when people think you're supposed to look some way, like I'm supposed to be Cher in the half-breed video with the big, you know, like rhinestone bikini coming in on a horse and a giant headdress. I don't look like that. You shouldn't, you don't have to look like you're going to Coachella to qualify as being a Native American woman. But when things get hard, I look out the window of my office at the Christopher Columbus statue on the front lawn of the Capitol, and I'm like, what's up now, Chris? I'm in the house. And that's my rant. Thank you. Pretty good. Wow. Let's spin it again. Landed on the Minnesota State Fair, suggested by Guy Branham. John, am I happy that you brought me back to Minnesota for the first time in 18 years? Absolutely. Is this a fine and beautiful state? Sure. Does it have over 10,000 lakes ready for your summer or wintertime activities? Yes. Does it have the Guthrie Theater? Does it have the Mayo Clinic? Yes. Is it a state that more responsibly cares about infrastructure than Wisconsin? Yes. Because those people are drunks. But John, while you have been in Minnesota, you have not seen Minnesota. John, if you were going to bring me here in the summertime, why did you have to bring me here now and not during those magical 10 days when Minnesota gives its best? John, you think you love watching politics go down. You haven't seen retail politics and you have seen, until you have seen Ilhan Omar talking about agricultural subsidies while eating mini donuts and consuming all-you-can-drink milk. Was Peggy talking just now moving? Was it magnificent? Yes. I want you to imagine that with lumberjack sports going on in the background. It is the setting she deserves. And yes, Senator Amy Klobuchar, she campaigned her heart out today. But I want you to think about how much more she could have campaigned if she had the protein and fats of walleye on a stick coursing through her veins while she was in front of you. I say to you, John, you have been to Minnesota, but please return to the real Minnesota. I'm gonna hand things off to Peggy. You're the real Minnesotan here. Give us your thoughts on the, on the, on the fair. I cannot tell you how important the Minnesota State Fair is. 
It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is a holiday. It is 10 days of fun. It is the, the largest pig that you'll ever see in your life. I mean, the thing is, is you're like, oh, but there are states that love fats more, but not that have the planning and organizational skills of the people of Minnesota. Minnesota. I, I can't believe neither of you have mentioned seed art yet. <laughs> I mean, we were just getting warmed up. That is like, that is the best part of the fair. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like seeing what people do when they cannot leave their homes for six months of the year. <laughs> they get some goddamn hobbies. They create images of prints made out of rice. <laughs> the way it should be. Let's. <laughs> That's right, it was called Purple Grains. Purple Grains. <laughs> It's also Prince's birthday today. Happy birthday, Happy Prince. Happy birthday, Prince. Pur- pur- purple grains. I want to thank our fantastic panel, Guy Branham, Anna Marie Cox, your lieutenant governor. I want to thank Senator Amy Klobuchar. I want to thank the University of Minnesota. I want to thank all of you for coming out. Have a great night. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.